I think about what brands lose when they don't diversify the talent that they hire to create content for them, the bloggers that they decide to collaborate with. Um, I think that there's a lot of great perspective that underrepresented um, people offer. I think that, and obviously I say that as an as an underrepresented person, but I also think that there is a lot of power in the Black community, uh, specifically. Not just buying power, but a lot of influence. Um, a lot of times, you know, we do influence trends and culture in America. And I think that, again, by not having us at the table, not paying us fairly, not giving us opportunities, um, it ultimately hurts uh, how successful a brand could be. Welcome to another episode of Amuse Bouche, a podcast full of big ideas served in small bites. I'm your host, Kehlani Palmisano, and this week, Dr. Geo Banks Weston and I are talking about food blogging and digital media as a means of building community, specifically within Black and other underrepresented communities. But first, I want to thank you all so much for waiting so patiently for this episode to come out. I know I took a little bit of a break because I had a lot of really fun and exciting work projects this summer. And since this podcast is just a one-woman production, I had to kind of prioritize the work that pays the bills. But with this being the 10th episode, I've decided to take a break for a few months so that I could start producing the next season of Amuse-Bouche. So you're not going to hear from me for a little bit, but certainly stay tuned for some experimental episodes that I have coming up the pipeline that may drop in the coming weeks. And if you haven't already, definitely check out some of the previous interviews we've had this season. There are a lot of incredible stories and perspectives that'll change the way you think about the world of food. Okay, back to the show. Dr. Geo Banks Weston, also known as Dr. Geo, is a passionate foodie sharing his dining adventures in Philadelphia and beyond on his blog, Geo's Table. He started his blog in 2014 and over the years has not only shared where he's eating, but also develops recipes and gives resources to readers about how to support Black creators. In addition to his blog, Geo is the host and producer of his podcast, Table 86, which shares the perspectives of Black and other underrepresented communities in the industry. In 2020, Gio received his Doctorate of Education in Educational Technology from the University of South Carolina. His research interests include exploring how technology can be leveraged to drive diversity and representation in science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics, aka the STEAM careers. More specifically, he is interested in how social media and other virtual collaboration tools can be leveraged to build community, offer mentorship, and provide access to other career growth opportunities for underrepresented professionals, a big part of which is the world of blogging. So, Gio, tell us how you started blogging. Yeah, so thank you so much, Kehlani, for having me. Um, and it's really interesting. I Typically, when I talk about how I started blogging, I talk about how I, I feel like I was an Instagram OG. So yeah. uh, uh, now everybody takes pictures of their food, but I like to think that like I was one of the original groups of people that started taking pictures of their food. And in doing that, I started to like feel like my creative juices were flowing. And it took me back to a time where I loved writing, which was in high school. And so 
a lot of people, Kehlani actually don't get this part of the story. Um, <laughs> I, um, I actually in high school, I wanted to be a journalist. Oh, I yeah. um, was editor of my high school newspaper. Um, I wanted to either be a journalist or to design magazines. And as you know, college happens and life happens. And I chose a different degree and major, but writing was always something that I was passionate about and have been passionate about. So even when I started taking pictures of food, a blog was always something I was like, you know, after doing this for a while, I'm, I'm really going to start a blog. Ah, that's amazing. And it's so great to see how you've come back to your writing that like, this was a passion that you had in your high school years. And even though you strayed away a little bit, you kind of you kind of returned to it. And so, you know, what did you find interesting about blogging when you started? Yeah, so I will say Geo's Table was not the first blog that I tried to start. Uh, prior to Geo's Table, I tried to start a couple blogs about different things. So, for example, my uh, major in college was social sciences and human resource management. So I at one point tried to start a blog for like young professionals navigating the workplace. But what interested me um, about blogging is that I'm a person who likes to learn new things and document that learning. And I also like sharing people's stories. And so... Thinking about blogs that I follow, food blogs, personal development blogs, what have you, um, it just felt like it was a blank slate for me to try a whole bunch of different things and find my niche. And it just so happened that I kind of fell into food and it that was the first time it really took off. Um, but it has been exciting for me, for sure. What was that first experience where you realized where food really clicked with your storytelling or did it, it did it gradually happen over time? So I would definitely say it gradually happened over time. But what I will will say is that, like, I grew up in a, in a family where my dad is today a, a great cook. He was actually a really good baker. He was the resident baker for the family. But I really didn't eat adventurously until I was an adult and I was on my own. And um, as I said, I started with Instagram and exploring, moving to Philadelphia now at this point, 11 years ago. Uh, one of the things that was exciting to me at the time was I had all these restaurants like at my fingertips. And so I started to explore that. And when it came to blogging, once I got past that Instagram phase and I really got into the blogging phase, it was like, I want other people who had similar backgrounds of me may not be as interested in food or as adventurous with food to see like that. It's okay. Here goes what I'm trying. Um, and that's when it started to click, finding that voice. Like, what is my unique perspective? What do I want to expose people to? What am I passionate about? And then that evolved even more, uh, in thinking about the diversity lens. So for example, Philadelphia is a great food city, but I often didn't see specifically black owned restaurants making the best of Philly list yeah, or yeah. getting a lot of features. And I'm like, but there are some great black owned restaurants here in Philly and you know, black owned products made here in Philly. I wanna share those with the world too. So it was like this process of self-discovery and then also wanting to share that with the world and then combining that with my love of writing um, and just that creative outlet of writing and taking photography through the blog. 
Oh, yeah. That's what's great about blogging is that it's engaging so many different multimedia kinds of storytelling. You're, you know, taking photos, you're you're writing the stories and everything. Mm-hmm. And also, too, just the creative free range that you don't have an editor who is telling you what you can and can't cover. And, you're, you know, you're building your own authentic audience through sharing all of these incredible stories. You know, did you start uh, Geo's table in 2014, or was that when your blogging adventure began? So Geo's table was started technically around like 2014 into 2015. It was like a slow ramp up. Oh, to yeah. be completely yeah. honest with you, <laughs> but I really did start diving deep into the Instagram scene um, in 20. 13, really 2014. Ooh, and that was like, remember when they had filters? They when had that was a big filters thing? <laughs> and, you know, I thought I really had the greatest pictures in the world. And now I'm looking back like, oh my God, those were horrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the things that was cool, I felt at the time about Instagram, because it was still a little new and people, this was before the age of the influencer, Yeah, um, that there were, I started to build community around with other foodies in the city. And we had like this little group of us, we would go out to dinner, you know, take pictures of our food. But this is before I was getting invited to like restaurant openings and things like that. It was just purely like the enjoyment and excitement of navigating the Philly food scene and the new things coming to the Philly food scene. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess like, so, so you've gotten to see how social media and how blogging has progressed over the years, how Instagram was this kind of micro blogging platform that now Mm -hmm. creates almost a funnel that builds traffic to web pages and to websites and everything. So what, what were like, what were those changes like? And, you know, how did you kind of navigate all of that? Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, it wasn't always fun. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, agreed. You know, it's crazy to think that when I started this at this point, the years run into each other, but let's say seven to eight years ago, right? Um, that I literally just did it for fun. And then it became, how do you navigate the Instagram algorithm? How oh, do you yeah. get more followers? Um. there starts to get some competition, right? Like between people, it's just natural. Those things happen. And I did not love that part. Um, I did not like that part of the evolution. On the flip side of that, as Instagram has evolved, as blogging itself has evolved to take on these other forms, like you said, microblogging and Instagram. um, One thing that I've liked to see a lot with people is that it's no longer just a standard blog post. Like, a lot of people dabble in cooking related videos and video content on their blogs. I think that it made blogging more accessible to more people. And I think that's the beautiful thing about it. So while the evolution and and the algorithms and trying to navigate social media has become increasingly difficult, I do see the blogging world kind of booming and looking so much different than when I started. And that's because we see people creating so many different types of content now. Oh, definitely. And so this is a perfect segue into your doctorate. Um, Tell me a little bit about how you kind of brought education and these kind of community building platforms together as you pursued your degree. Yeah. So 
I got my doctorate because most of my career, I was an instructional designer. So I always tell people when they're like, what is an instructional designer? I'm like, you know, those e-learnings that you have to take when you start a job. <laughs> I, I used to design those. Um, <laughs> I used to design electronic um, learning. And then I used to also design and facilitate like instructor led leadership training. Oh, wow. That's cool. But that's what led me to get my degree. But I've always had a passion, as evidenced by my blog and you know my podcast. I've always had a passion for driving diversity, um, and I say specifically in STEM and STEAM. And why I like the STEAM is because art is included, and I don't think that people always realize how much uh, art impacts a number of in- industries and will in the future. So I think about user experience design. I think about marketing. I think about development. There is a very real art aspect to to all those things. Um, But for me personally, that art is related to blogging. And what I was interested in exploring specifically is how bloggers as entrepreneurs and specifically underrepresented bloggers and entrepreneurs um, are leveraging technology to advance their careers and how technology can actually facilitate environments where they get access to mentorship, where they get access to information that can help them grow their business um, or or grow and develop as a professional, um, opportunities for them to network. And what I've learned just in my own experience as a blogger, I belong to group Black Food Bloggers Club on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I, I Clubhouse has been a great teaching tool for me that historically Black and underrepresented folks don't get as many opportunities as others. Um, and that's embedded to the system. But we have created these forums online to provide each other support and help each other win. And I think that's the power that technology can have in, in really driving diversity. I, I agree with you with a, uh, you know, when there is a, like when you look at legacy media and you mm-hmm. look at big old fangled newspapers and, you know, big media entities, when you have a big, you know, big structure like that, they have all of these systems in place that are pretty well deeply embedded. And for a person of color, or if you're a person from an underrepresented community, they're the pathways into those legacy media entities are hard to kind of overcome. It's like hard. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of barriers in place, whether that be the inability to afford taking time off of work. Like, like for instance, I, I, I worked my way through college. I had a full-time job while I was also a full-time student and Mm -hmm. I just couldn't afford to, you know, uh, to take an unpaid internship And a lot of, you know, whereas a lot of other people do, but there's also a lot of people, yeah, that can't afford to take that time off to, to, to take an internship, but that internship is a foot in the door to Mm -hmm. be able to kind of rise into the, the rise through the ranks of those legacy systems. If you can, you know, if you, yeah, are of the right demographic or know the right people or so on and so forth. Yeah. And so here we are and, you know, blogging has kind of superseded 
and kind of gone over the heads of lots of legacy media and legacy. There was a long time where legacy media didn't take the internet seriously, that they didn't take blogs seriously. And I like when I was kind of making my way up through media, I remember those conversations of like, oh, blogs, they won't stick around. Like no Mm -hmm. one will rely on them. But now it's become that these uh, digital platforms are directly competing with legacy media and legacy media has tried to kind of scramble. But in that, in that, um, you know, in that competitiveness, in this new media landscape where we have YouTubers and bloggers on almost the same level as like legacy media and and journalists uh, working for legacy media, you know, we're all trying to unpack, you know, the reckoning that's been happening at all of these media companies. Like, what are what are your thoughts on, you know, these movements of uh, like journalists of color coming forward and saying like, you know what, there's not that many, you know, black journalists in the newsroom. There aren't that many, uh, you know, journalists of color uh, that are being hired to cover certain stories or even cover certain communities. Cause mm-hmm. there's been so many, you know, even in Philadelphia, there have been so many uh, bad situations where, you know, a, a community of colors stories have been just like either glossed over or not communicated in an appropriate way. What are yeah. your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think I often think of what's the cost of not having us at the table. Yeah. Um, especially when um, you're covering stories about us. Right. And d- similarly, I, I think about that with, with blogging as well. So I think it's so really, you could look at any industry because most industries are underrepresented and you don't see many black people or people of color at the table mm-hmm. um, in leadership roles, right? Um, right. Or, or in, in roles where they have a lot of influence. Um, and there is a cost to that. I, I think that I think about every brand that gets in trouble or every news outlet that gets in trouble. And I often think, well, if you had a person of color or you had a black person in the room, you might not have made that faux pas or you might not have made that mistake. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so, um, and, and for journalists specifically, I think when you bring a journalist to the table um, of a certain background to cover stories, you're getting a much more well-rounded view. You're getting a different level of research um, because they're going to approach it from their own lens and their own background, which at times may differ from the tradition, the traditional voices that we have heard um, at the table or in writing, right? Oh, absolutely. And um, connecting that to blogging specifically and content creation, really, I think about what brands lose when they don't diversify the talent that they hire to create content for them, the bloggers that they decide to collaborate with. Um, I think that there's a lot of great perspective that underrepresented um, people offer. I think that, and obviously I say that as an, as an underrepresented person, right? but I also think that there is a lot of power um, in the black community uh, specifically, not just buying power, but a lot of influence. Yes, um, yeah. A lot of times, you know, we do influence trends and in culture in America And I think that, again, by not having us at the table, not paying us fairly, not giving us opportunities, um, it ultimately hurts uh, 
how successful a brand could be. Yeah, yeah, those are all really important points to to consider. And you know, I don't know how closely do you follow TikTok? So I am funny enough, that is the one social media platform that I have an account, but I don't follow as closely. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the same way. But there's also the conversation right now of, um, you know, when, you know, with, with bloggers and content creators, and you're kind of self-publishing out there on these digital platforms, a lot of times there is stealing of ideas, mm-hmm. ripping off of content. And yes. right now I'm like power to the black creators on TikTok because they create these dances. And what happens is the dances get taken by white TikTok, white people, TikTokers, mm-hmm. who, you know, they have larger followings and then they'll get bigger sponsorships using the dance moves that black creators are creating. So right now, I believe they're still doing it. Um, there's like a- The strike. Yeah, the, I read yes. about that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And, um, it, it, you know, people are even saying that TikTok is a little boring without them uh, mm-hmm. sharing their dances with us, but power, power to them. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think, I, I mean, you captured it perfectly. I think that I said earlier, you know, we influence culture, right? And I think that's a great example of that. And when we stop influencing, look what the cost is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, um, Or look at the influence we have by not deciding not to participate, right? Right. Um, You know, it's not that TikTok got shut down, but it's not as exciting right now um, without without us. And I, I think that is... A really important discussion um, that I hope keeps coming up, right? Because I think that's how we start to change systems. And I think that's how we start to really recognize and appreciate uh, the talent in the Black community and in underrepresented communities. I also think it really starts to push forward that conversation. And this isn't so closely tied, but around like what's cultural appropriation and then what is appreciation, right? Right. And I think that that's something that um, people get wrong so much. Mm -hmm. And I want us to be having conversations about it. Um, I want it to be fixed or or at least um, brought to the forefront constantly so that we can start to unravel some of that and create solutions for it. so, so that's just where I sit with that. Yeah, I, I think on the, you know, appropriation versus appreciation, it's really just knowing who you are and what your experiences are in the, mm-hmm. in the very complex constellation of the world. Like I teach a food writing workshops every now and again, and it, it's the difference between ownership of the cuisine and outsidership of that cuisine? Are you an outsider looking in or are you part of that food's, you know, that food's history? Is that integrated with your own personal experience? And just kind of having an understanding of where you stand as opposed to, is it yours or is it, is it not yours? Is this something that you kind of grew up with? Is it, you know, cause food is something that is, is shared. And so oftentimes, uh, 
food and certain dishes have multiple cultural influences that mm-hmm. have that have touched it over time because you know borders are merely just lines that we draw between one another um but yeah that that i think um has that that could be a whole podcast all In itself, on its own right? yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could it could oh but you know going back to creators and putting your work out there um what are some of your tips for people to either protect i guess their intellectual property because it does kind of come down to you know it what you put out there when does the copyright kind of begin um Mm -hmm. and you know i've i have had a lawyer that's like as soon as you hit the publish button that copyright exists now um because you it's time stamped it's you know it's very blatantly there but uh you know for for creators out there who are just kind of getting their their rhythm um what are what are some Tips pieces of advice yeah. yeah tips yeah yeah so one of the things that i like to say and i've talked about this on my podcast with content creators specifically mm-hmm. and um i think this is probably the billboard for having a blog uh there is nothing like something you create on your own and what i mean by that is when you think about instagram and tiktok specifically you know you're posting on their platform. And once you post it out there, like, you know, we've seen it with Twitter, people can screenshot a tweet, people can screenshot a photo. Um, Not that they can't do these things on your blog, but Mm -hmm. at least your blog you own. Um, Also, in the same vein as that, you know, Instagram could go away tomorrow, TikTok could go away tomorrow, but your blog that you own um, or your content that that you own and, and you post in your own space is always yours. And you can decide when that goes away. So I think that's a really, again, a billboard for a blog. But like, I think that's one of the best parts of having a blog. Um, Also, what what you said about I I don't I am not a copyright lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) So huge disclaimer here, but. Oh, yeah. Well, also, yeah. yeah. yeah, Also, disclaimer, too, of like social media is different because the use there's all these small lines of print in the agreement of using Facebook and Instagram that like, yeah, once it goes into the Instagram universe, they could technically put it on an act like a real billboard without you knowing, without even telling you and without like even paying you for it. Um, That's the bad part of social media but like you said yeah like if it's on if it lives on your blog that is your literally your domain actual domain (laughs) your domain that you own um and that you pay for so i i think that is my biggest advice or encouragement for starting a blog um uh as a content creator just in general and and this doesn't relate to copyright like one of the things I think is really important is to have an, a voice that is authentic to you. Oh yeah. Um, one of my guests on on one of the guests that came on my show, uh, his name is KJ Kearney. He is a uh, Black Food Fridays is his feed. Oh, and yeah. one of the things that he said is he started focusing on qualitative results, not quantitative results. So was he creating content that he was proud of? Was he creating content that he felt educated people and added value to their lives? He said, and that's when he, that is when he started to see real wins. And that stuck with me because I do think, um, especially today, and I mentioned it earlier, you do get very concerned with followers. 
you do get very concerned with the algorithm. Am I posting at the right time? Am I making a reel and posting photos? Um, is my blog post 500 words? Yeah. <laughs> um, there are so many things that you have to, or so many rules that you have to try to be guided by because those things tell us that's how we'll be successful. And I think it's important to take a step back and as, as my friend KJ said, focus on qualitative results and are you doing work that you're passionate about and do you think that it's adding value? And I think those other things may start to really fall into place for you. Oh, absolutely. And you're, you're going to find people who, who are, who resonate on a real and authentic level with you too. And, and you're going to reach them. And I, you know, numbers, followers are sure, whatever, like, I feel like that can be, you know, there's talks of it being manipulated Manipulated, and like, you know, all of those things, but I'm more interested in, like, it looks bad if someone has like 30,000 followers, but then they only get like 200 likes or something Mm -hmm, like that. mm -hmm. Like, and no comments whatsoever. It's like, wow, no one, no one even gave like little flame emojis under this post. Uh, Like I, I, and back when I worked in social media, like I was more interested in what are the conversations that people are adding? Are people, did you post a recipe and people were like, Oh, I, I love this recipe. I like to use this ingredient. Like what are, what's the quality of the conversation that's coming out? of the of the post or the blog post or or whatever. I think that's I think if you can start a conversation, then I think that should be a barometer for success for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, it, we've been talking about blogging and be, the ability to self-publish. Um and readers, I feel like readers are just being bombarded by lots of information. Mm-hmm. Like what do you think from the reader's side, um, what should they be kind of focusing on to empower themselves to make sure that they're reading something that is of good value? Like, I think, I think about the spread of misinformation, not just with like health, uh, with COVID and everything, but then there's also health and wellness blogging, which is a big deal. And one thing that really grinds my gears is Mm -hmm. uh, people that, tout diets. I'm not a big diet person. If anyone mm-hmm. has like read any of my work, I, I detest diets. Um, but I, you know, I feel, I feel for readers who may be looking for a solution and they stumble upon some bad diet advice, but like, you know, as readers, what, what do you think that they should do to empower themselves to make sure that they're reading someone that's credible? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have friends who say, Google me, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, um, but it, it's true, right? Um, I, I think we have information at our fingertips, right? And I think that it is really important. If you read something and you feel, ah, oh, this is slightly off, Google your journalist, <laughs> Google the blog, see where it's been featured. Um now you have access to all those things. I also think, and, and I can just speak about being a blogger and, and like things I've seen from other bloggers who who I follow and love. And like, oh sure, one of the things that a lot of great blogs have is where they've been featured, who they've done work with, who they've collaborated with. And so, if you're going to that blog for 
a recipe or, you know, you're going to that blog to learn about new products. Like that blog is represent, they have, they typically put forward the information of the work they've done before. They put their resume on display. And I think that adds um, some trust, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know, that's oh, some they're credibility. Le- some credibility, some legitimacy to what they're doing. So I, I think that's another important thing for readers. Like, when you're on a site, like, check where they've been featured before, um, check if they've written articles elsewhere. Um, Google them yeah, <laughs> again. Google them, yes, <laughs> that's that's the simplest way. Way, and um, I think that's how you start to combat some of that misinformation that you, that you see out there. Oh, speaking of uh, places that you've appeared, what uh, you've got, you've had some really cool partnerships uh, this past summer. You had a fantastic, you joined a fantastic group of bloggers for it was the recipes for Juneteenth. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, you had a fantastic. Uh, what was it was a distillery uh, partnership. So tell us a little bit about your partnerships and how they came about. Yeah, so it's interesting how these things, you know, pop up now. It almost feels random, but um, I, as I mentioned before, um, and I can't like tout community enough and building a community and finding a community of, of people who, for me, look like me and experience some of the same struggles as me in blogging. Yes, yes. Um, and, and being part of that community is what led to opportunities to, to collaborate with each other. And one of those things is that Juneteenth potluck, which actually this year was the fourth year. I I um, was not a part of it like the first two years, mm-hmm. but um, I have been the past two years. And um, that was started by Aaron Hutcherson and who you probably know. Um, oh, Hungry Hutch, right? <laughs> yeah, Hungry Hutch. Yes. And, yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, he's, he is fantastic. Um, he was a guest on my podcast, um, <laughs> nice. season one. And then um, Miko Temple who's Miko in the dish. And they started it as a way for Juneteenth for us to take back the narrative mm-hmm. and to be able to share our own recipes, recipes that might be important to our own Black history, important to our families, or just introducing people to foods of the African diaspora. And so we do that for Juneteenth, and then we did it for Black History Month as well. So I love those type of collaborations. In terms of some of the other collaborations I've gotten as of recently, I I say it's random because I, I never know how they they find me, but typically they like for the uh, most recent cocktail uh, tequila collaboration I did, they found me from other collaborations that I've done oh. and really liked the content that I did and said like, hey, we liked a lot of times in the messages they'll be like, we like this content you created for this. We would like you to create content for us. Um, and that's pretty cool um, because I, I've, I work hard, I've worked very hard to get better and improve my photography skills and think about composition and, and improve my writing skills. And so it is always nice when somebody else sees that and it's like, we want to work with you. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that they they found you through, you know, another partnership. And I think that's how it kind of grows organically. That's how people begin to find you because they find you through other things that you've you've worked on and and your work then sets you apart from other people because they they kind of have 
an idea of what you're going to deliver because you have an aesthetic, you have a voice, all of these things that, you know, you touched on in this podcast so far. And I think that's, I think that's important too, um, to grow organically. Like I always tell people like, uh, don't put the horse before the cart. There's a lot of people out there that they want to jump into blogging and then with, within a month they want partnerships mm-hmm. and they're, they're trying really hard, but it really is, you kind of have to come in prepared because it's a, it's a lot of work and a lot of deliverables that you, you know, you have to, um, you have to provide. And that's not something that just happens within a few months. It's probably not Uh something that happens within a few year, well, within a year, but like after some time when you are, you have a command of your art and you have a command of your craft, then it's like you arrive. When the Absolutely. opportunity comes, you're like, oh, I am prepared. It's, you know, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And and then, you know, you deliver a fantastic uh, campaign. Um, what other advice would you have for beginner bloggers? Yeah, so I think I think there's a couple things that, and I will say these, the advice I'm about to give is from missteps I feel I made early on. Ah. I think consistency is important. Um, I think it's great to evolve as a content creator, but I think we've all been on feeds or read blogs where we're like, I don't, I don't know, like, what their end goal is here. Like uh, you mentioned fitness earlier, they have fitness and recipe and travel, right? I think that um, it's important to be authentic, but then it's also important to be consistent. And I think the more you're consistent, the more easily you're able to develop your own voice. Um, And what I, when I say consistency, what I mean is not just consistently posting or consistently churning out content. It's also be consistent in your voice, be consistent in what you offer. um, And at the same time, be consistently authentically you. Um, And that's how I think that you will start to see some wins. Um, Another thing that I think of from from a blogging and, and Instagram perspective is I mentioned community, but I do think that it's important to engage with content that you believe in. Um, I think I am always inspired, or at least I try to follow people that I am inspired by, that I love their content, that I love what they're writing, that I love the recipes they post on their blog. And by not just supporting them, but like that just being inspired and reading their stuff, I find myself growing and learning new things. So I think having that commitment, not just to be inspired, but that commitment to learning and to be open to having new experiences is an extremely valuable skill as a blogger. I mean, it's a valuable skill in life, but it's certainly a valuable skill as a blogger. Um, And I think that also helps you to create your voice, create your brand. Um, And then I I think kind of last but not least that like realize that nobody can do you the way that you do you. Right. And so don't get caught up in trying to be the next best influencer or the next best blogger, kind of what you said before. Like, just consider not, I, I shouldn't say consistently again, because I'm like overusing the word, but like <laughs> consistently consistent. <laughs> consistently consistent. Like, but no, I, I think it, it is really important to understand to understand who you are, to understand what you offer, um, to understand what your voice is and what you're passionate about. And if you really believe in that, it shows through to your readers. 
Oh, I, I agree. And I think a, another good point um, would be I, it, there's so many platforms now, but to pick the ones that you're, you're best at and just be great at them. And because it can be very easy to spread yourself thin um, mm-hmm. on your journey. Was there a point where you were like, Ooh, I'm spreading myself thin. Like I need to pull back a little bit. All the time. <laughs> All the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, and I, I can say, like, I started on Instagram. And what I loved about Instagram initially is that it was so easy, right? It was just snapping oh, a picture yeah. and posting it. It got harder. <laughs> um, I know. They, they introduced hashtags. <laughs> like, like yeah. it started, they didn't have that at the beginning. And now, it, yeah. And yeah. it was easy. But I, I can't agree with you more. Um, one thing that I've experienced a lot and and I've talked about with other people is an imposter syndrome. Like I've spread myself too thin and I'm not doing enough. Mm. I'm not doing enough for my blog. I'm not doing enough for my brand. Like I, I'm not worthy of partnerships. Um, You know, I, I have felt all those things. Yeah. And in having other, you know, specifically black food bloggers I can talk to, I've, realize that like I'm not alone in feeling those things oh yeah um and even just having other people who have experienced those same things before has helped me um to combat some of that imposter syndrome but also to be easier on myself and be more kind to myself um and to really just trust and believe in the content I create um it's really hard though, especially when we get a lot of mixed messages about what we should be doing. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know. And you know, this is a, a segue into a great, you know, maybe a good topic to kind of wrap up on, but um, about self-care, because when you're putting out so much creative energy, it can be very draining if you're not receiving like any feedback or if you're if you're in kind of a partnership lull or you just, you know, to put yourself out there takes a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. And and you know, so so what do you do um to refuel uh your creative juices? You know, it's great that you have your community, but is there anything else that you're doing as part of your self-care practice? Yeah, there's this there's quite a few things. I have a Peloton. Um Ooh, nice. I, I feel like I should be riding it more, but you know, um I I do really enjoy it. I feel good. I feel like concentrating on like just riding the bike for 30 minutes really helps to relieve a lot of stress because I'm not thinking about this blog post or this content I need to create. Um uh, another thing that I really think is important to self-care for self-care um is to find out the type of self-care that you need because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So for me, um, I found, you know, my husband says it to me all the time, I don't know how to sit still, right? (laughs) I have to always be doing something. Yeah. So a part of my self-care regimen is actually fully sensory experiences. So I love to cook. I love to try a new recipe. And I will purposefully, purposefully cook and try recipes and and put my phone turn my phone off and put Ooh, it away nice. so yeah. i could be fully engaged in the touch the sense the sounds um and that to me it does like recharge me and also like i come away from that like often learning something new learning a new ingredient learning a new technique that ultimately will help me so i i think that's definitely 
those two things are a big part of my self-care regimen. And the last thing I'll say is that when I started blogging, um, and I learned this from other people, this isn't an original um, like idea. This is something I learned from other folks. When I started blogging, um, I wasn't as efficient as I am today. Mm-hmm. So I established better ways of working. Um, so I have content creation days once a week. Oh, that's good. And that's where I get oftentimes my blogging, a lot of my podcasting done, or at least the bulk of it. So I'm not worried about it on other days. And, or I used to, you know, take 5 million pictures. A a guest on my podcast actually said this. I used to take 5 million pictures and now I can just take eight and know that they're good enough. So I think a part of self-care is establishing stronger routines around blogging and content creation that aren't as taxing on your mental health and allow you to put it to the side and then focus on other things. Thank you so much, Dr. Gio, for sharing just how important it is to have Black and other underrepresented voices in media and beyond. If you're interested in learning more, check out Dr. Gio's blog, geostablephl.com, and listen to his podcast, Table 86, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow him on Instagram at geostable. You can follow Amuse Bouche on social media at Amuse Bouche Pod, and be sure to subscribe to the Amuse Bouche newsletter on Substack. Every week, you'll find even more food stories, recipes, and gardening updates. It's a free newsletter at the moment, but I do accept tips, so consider helping a sister out by throwing her a few bucks a month. You can also support me by engaging with the show and following me at Kehlani Says on Instagram and Twitter. Amuse Bouche is hosted by yours truly, Kehlani Palmasano. The music at the beginning and the end of this podcast is by the Great North Sound Society, and the song is called South Street Strut, a little nod to my Philly folks out there. At the moment, I'm working as a one-woman band, producing, editing, and bringing these amazing food stories to your ears. So if you're liking what you're listening to, be sure to subscribe, and I'll catch you all next season.